Hey, give it up for my wife. She was so nervous doing that. I thought she did a great job. She, she literally came in. She goes, babe, I got stress sweat going on. Like, I don't want to, like, why are you making me do this? I'm like, you'll do great. You'll do great. Hey, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Incredibly grateful that you're here with us this morning. Uh, I want to say welcome to all you in this room. I want to say welcome to those that will be watching online today. But a specific welcome, a special welcome, I should say, to all those that are joining us for the first time. Thanks for being here. Like, really, we, knew, we know that you're taking a chance coming and checking out a church for the first time. And we're honored that you'd come to Trace. And so thanks for being here. This is a great weekend to jump in and kind of get started because we kick off this new series called Fight. Now, back in the fall, many of the men in this church actually went through a Bible study called Fight, and that's kind of where I got this idea. I've been wanting to do this series for a while now, and the sub-theme to that series or that Bible study was winning the battles that matter most. Now, we're not going to study the same things that we did in that Bible study, but I did want to adopt that theme, that sub-theme, this idea of winning the battles that matter the most in our life, and so for the next three weeks, we're going to keep coming back to this one thing right here. When it comes to, I'm sorry, I should say it this way, to win the battles that matter the most, you have to stay in the fight. As I was thinking this past week about how I wanted to approach this particular message today, I was thinking about uh, kind of in my own life, in the past, the different battles that I have had to face. And I bet like many of you, some of these battles have to do with pain and hurt and suffering and disappointments. But when I kind of keyed in and honed in on the battles the greatest battles in my life, they seem to revolve around two particular subjects, the subjects of temptation and the subject of sin. And so today, we're going to hone in our particular conversation on those two particular things. But let's start by just having a really honest dialogue. Why do we sin? Why do we sin? We sin because it's fun, right? If, I love how Craig Rochelle says it. He says, if you're not enjoying sin, you're doing it wrong, right? I mean, truly, this is what it is. And, and I think what we do is we kind of measure up, and it's, you know, for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, on one side over here, we want to glorify God with our lives, but over here we see these moments of instant gratification, and all we have to do is come to that temptation just, maybe just this once. But again, if we're having an honest dialogue this morning, what we have to know we're doing in that moment when we decide to give up the fight and step into that temptation or into that particular sin is we are replacing that instant gratification with glorifying God. I also think there's another reason, something I've been noticing here recently as I'm observing kind of what's happening in our culture, something that I believe is causing people to kind of diminish the role of sin in their life. And again, I'm talking about sin. We're talking about people who have already put their faith in Jesus. We can't expect an outside, unbelieving world to do the same things that we do. But for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, I think there's something that's happening that's a little bit concerning to me. And so let me set this up by telling the story. About a year and a half ago, I was looking for a computer for our church. And so I went on Craigslist. I try to buy as much as I can off Craigslist before I buy anything new. And so I found a, a computer that looked like it was going to work for what we needed. And so I set up the appointment with a guy and went and exchanged the money for the computer. And I do what I often do when I meet people off of Craigslist. I invite them to church. No kidding. There are people who come to this church right now. There's one of them uh, because I met them on Craigslist, my own little Craigslist ministry. So whatever it takes. We say we'll do anything short of sin around here for Jesus, and so there you go. But after we exchanged and we kind of, you know, uh, had some small talk, I said, hey, would you consider coming to church? You know, Trace, I'm a pastor there. I'd love to have you come and be a part of it. And he said, oh, I'm already part of a church. But you know what? I have, have thought about here recently to, to start looking for a new church. And he said, because I want to find a church that's 
more focused on grace. Now, to me, I'm like, hey, that's great. We focus on grace. That's a big deal. But then he continued by saying, because I'm just not that concerned with the sin in my life. I just don't think it's that big of a deal, and so I'd rather just focus on God's grace. And for the next 10 minutes, I took the opportunity to talk to this gentleman about the importance of pursuing both truth and grace. Now, for those of you that are new here, and if you didn't know this, where we get the name Trace, Trace Church, is truth and grace put together. Because if we want to be and represent the fullness of who Jesus is, we have to pursue the fullness of both. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, we see that Jesus came full of both grace and and truth. But here's what's happening. In our society, what, what I see happen often, even in the church world and in the church culture, is we're having people that are moving so strongly in the area of truth that they're doing so at the expense of grace. Many of you have been on the other side of these type of Christians because these are the type of Christians that will often judge you and condemn you. And it's almost like they have a checklist. And if you're not, if you're not meeting all the marks, you're gonna, they're going to make you feel like a less than, a less than Christian. If you've ever been a part of a church like that, I'm sorry. But on the other side of that, you have people that are pursuing grace so strongly, so intently, that they're doing so at the expense of truth. And people who are doing this are often giving themselves a license to sin. They're diminishing the role of sin in their life, like this gentleman that I was having a conversation with. And so why put up a fight if sin is not that big of a deal? Let me tell you another story. Several years ago, when my oldest daughter, she would have been five at this point, and uh, we had gone home to Kentucky, that's where we're from, and so we had gone home to Kentucky to visit family, and so my oldest daughter, she's nine now, she would have been five then, and so my son would have been three. Went back, had a great visit, but it was one of those visits where it's like, we just didn't get a whole lot of rest, it was crazy, we were going all over the place visiting people, and then on the way home, uh, we were on a flight. And I don't think I heard anybody say, oh, look at those kids, they're doing so well, they're so well behaved. I don't think I heard that at all, because our kids were being tyrants. And so Emily and I were about to lose it, like we really are, we're just about to lose it. And so we get down to baggage claim, and my, my son and my daughter, Jonathan and Lily, they get in a fight, like, almost, like a physical fight. And I'm done, I lose it, I lose, I lose sight of Jesus for a moment, and... I'm like, what are you doing? You're being awful. And Lily, my five-year-old, says at the top of her lungs, in the middle of baggage claim, we are not bad children. <laughs> and everybody in baggage claim got a good laugh, but I almost got in a fist fight with my five-year-old daughter over that moment. Guys, here's what I think. I really do believe this. I think some of us diminish the role of sin in our life because we just don't want to feel like we're disappointing somebody. You remember that feeling when you were little? Where maybe it was a coach, a teacher, a parent, a grandparent. And you felt like if you were to live or you did something and you disappointed them. It's just that you started walking around with that guilt and shame. Man, we, didn't like, we, don't, we don't like that. And I think what some Christians are doing today is they are already walking around with their fair share of guilt and shame that they just don't want anymore. And so how do you get rid of it? How do you get rid of that feeling of feel, that? That feeling of like guilt and shame that most of us carry around, well, one of the ways you can do that is by diminishing the role of sin. Because if you stop fighting and sin's not that big of a deal, again, like the gentleman that I met, then I don't have to walk around feeling guilty like I've disappointed somebody. But let me remind you, and just in case you need to be reminded this morning, God never deals. God never deals with guilt and shame. 
Now, he does deal with this thing we call conviction. And conviction is not so that you walk around feeling like you're a lesser than person because of your mistakes and failures. Conviction is God just trying to show you you're going the wrong direction. You're moving away from my presence. You're making choices that I don't want to make for your that I don't want you to make for your life. And not only will you hurt yourself, but you're probably going to hurt others around you. I'm just trying to get your attention. And so I want you to feel that little bit of a stirring inside of you so that you'll move back in my direction, not so that you'll walk around feeling full of guilt and shame. That's not why I have come. Friends, if any of this describes you, I've got three things that I want you to think about this morning. Here's number one. If you begin down that path, the world around you will only nurture that way of thinking. If you decide to go down that path and diminish kind of this thing that we call sin and temptation, it's really not that big of a deal. I'm already forgiven by grace. You know, I don't have to worry about pursuing Jesus with faithfulness on a daily basis. If you begin down that path, the world around you will only nurture that way of thinking. And because this is the path that's most popularly followed, the path of popular opinion, it's the easiest one to go down. Number two, if sin doesn't lose its appeal as you mature in Christ, you're not maturing in Christ. Now, for those of you that haven't put your faith in Jesus and you're here today, we're incredibly thankful that you're here, incredibly thankful. And you get, you get a kind of a, a buy here. But for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, we made a commitment to pursue him. Not that it's not because we're trying to pursue perfection, because we know that by pursuing faithfulness in Jesus, following the path that he wants us to follow, that we actually represent him better. Our faithfulness shows the light and love and life of Jesus to others in an outside unbelieving world needs to see that more often. And so when we said yes, I want to make Jesus the leader and Lord of my life. We made a commitment to pursue him. Yes, you'll make failures. You'll have failures. We're going to talk about that. But if the sin in your life doesn't lose its appeal as you mature in Christ, you're not maturing in Christ. Number three, so when it comes to the temptation, when it comes to the temptation of sin in our lives, don't stop fighting. And if you'll make that commitment, here's God's commitment to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we hear Paul say this, no, tempta- no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Friends, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I'm going to take a time out here, and I wasn't originally going to say this. I was thinking about it this morning. I want to take a time out here, okay? So I'm going to veer away from my message for a second. I was visiting with a family this week, and this was a heavy week. Holy cow, this was a heavy week. We had a lot of stuff going on in our church, and a lot of just painful things. And I went to visit with a family, and without saying too much, they just ha- they're in one of those seasons where, man, it just feels like a fl- the floodgates opened of trials and tribulation in their life. And they have a little, little boy who might have a brain tumor. He's not producing enough growth hormone. In the same month, they found out that the mom has got uh, some type of cancer, in the same month, they had a miscarriage. It was just one of those things, one wave after another. And so I just wanted to go and spend some time with them. And I asked them, I, you know, I prayed over the, their son, and we just had some good conversations. And, and let me say this. Here's another side note. Like, I'm, I'm getting way off track now. But they told me how their life group, their neighboring group, had been coming around them. And every time I hear that, I'm like, yay, God, 
That's exactly what we want to accomplish. Friends, I hope I have to visit, I hope I visit hospitals in the future. And when I go into the hospitals, that there are neighboring groups that are already surrounding whoever that person is that I'm coming to visit. And you get to look at me and say, Aaron, you're not really needed here. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But anyway, I'm talking to this family and I say, hey, just in case anybody has said this to you, I want to correct it. Has anybody said to you that God will never give you more than you can handle? And they said, yeah, that actually has been said to us in that season. And friends, that's wrong. And that's bad theology. Pull this verse back up really quick, Lauren. That theology comes from this verse. And I want to read it again to you. No temptation has overtaken you or will overtake you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted, tempted beyond what you can bear beyond your ability and from that we take it and we actually look to people and we rephrase it and say God won't give you more than you can handle this verse never said that and so what happens is people when they're going through hell on earth is they allow that Christians say that to them and if you've ever said that I'm not trying to make you feel bad just don't say it anymore because what happens is when you say that you tell somebody well if I feel like I can't handle things right now maybe it's about me maybe it's because I'm weak God never said that there won't be things in your life that you can't handle. Now, he said that's why he's given us this thing called church to surround each other, to come around each other and prop each other up and carry each other's burdens and cry with each other. But he never said that he won't give you more than you can handle. And so if you've ever been in a season in your life and you didn't feel like you could handle it, it's okay. You're not weak. You're not weak. And it's okay to say you're not okay and invite other people into that with you. That's a whole nother sermon. Okay, now I'm going to jump back in to my original sermon. Here's a moment of confession. If you're new here, you'll learn that we do this here at Trace, where we try to find moments of transparency so, so that you don't put us on pedestals up here. And so here's my moment of confession when it comes to some of the temptations in our life and how they, how they subtly make their way in, sometimes underneath our radar. Uh, Emily and I have been watching some different Netflix shows. If you guys have Netflix and it's not uncommon for people to recommend shows to us, different Netflix shows that uh, have been good and that are popular. And one of the things that has happened over the past month as we're looking for another show to get into on Netflix is one will be recommended and we'll start it. And in episode one, what happens is some kind of nudity or sexual scene comes up. Now, we've made a commitment a long time ago that we know based on God's design for sexuality that he doesn't want us to see those things. And so quickly we turn it off and we move on. Because the thing about Netflix is it doesn't tell you. Like, you used to be able to look at a DVD or something, and it says, you know, nudity or sexuality, and we would just leave those alone. You don't know that on, on Netflix. And so uh, then we heard of another show, and we started watching that show, and we got through episode one. And it was clean, and I was like, sweet, man, this is a good show. I can tell it's going to be a show that I get into. It's going to be a good show. Episode two, we get about halfway through it. And there it is again, there's some kind of sexual content. And, and honestly, I mean, I'm looking away and I don't want, I've learned, I don't need those things in my mind. And so I look away and I'm like, what if you just fast forward through that and we'll keep watching? Oftentimes our first step away from God is a very, very small one, isn't it? And my wife looked at me and I'm so, I'm so thankful for the voice of the Holy Spirit through my bride. And she said, no, I don't want us to make a compromise. I said, you're exactly right. Let me ask you a rhetorical question this morning. Where are you potentially making subtle steps away from God? Where are you potentially allowing a compromise to come into your life right now? 
where maybe it's even happening underneath the radar because, again, around you, everything that you see around you, it just, just makes things much worse than that, even normal. And so for us to make that subtle step towards that area, whatever that area is for you, where is it that you're potentially taking a subtle step away from God and towards compromise? Friends, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this series is because I often, as a pastor, find myself meeting with couples and men specifically. I do a lot of mentoring and what I call foundational coaching and different things like that. And I find myself uh, meeting and talking with people that are either on the verge of a compromise, they've already made a compromise, or they've been compromising in their life for so long that they're now dealing with an addiction. And by no means are we ever going to be the kind of church that puts a platter of guilt in front of you, but one of the things that I have found myself saying often, probably the most often, are these three words. No matter where you're at on that spectrum, don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. If it's worth fighting for, stay in the fight. And let me remind you of our one thing, to win the battles that matter most, you're going to have to stay in the fight. Some of you guys may know uh, this gentleman right here. This is Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is best known, he's a pastor, but he's best known for his translation of the Message Bible. We call it a paraphrase. And he's best known for that. And I read a story about Eugene long ago um, that I thought would be really good for this morning. And it was about when he was a kid. And he was being bullied by this little boy named Garrison Johns. Let me read the story to you. He, says, he said this. Most afternoons after school, he would catch up with me and beat me up. He also found out that I was a Christian, so he taunted me with Jesus sissy. I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated, and my mother told me this is how it's always been for Christians in the world and that I'd better get used to it. She also said I was supposed to pray for him. One day I was with seven or eight friends when Garrison caught up with us. And he started jabbing me. That's when it happened. Something snapped. And for a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness. And I grabbed Garrison. And to my surprise and his, I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. And he was helpless at my mercy. It was good. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good. And I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose. A lovely crimson in the snow. That's what he says. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. Then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> he wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. I tried again. Say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. <laughs> so good. Friends, our enemy, our enemy, is the biggest bully that you're ever going to meet. And like most bullies, he likes to catch us off guard so that our weaknesses can be exposed. And he wants to look for opportunities when you're least likely to put up a fight. And he's trying to convince you, you're not as strong as you think you are. Paul talks about this enemy and how real this battle is in Ephesians when he writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 6. This is what he says. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. 
but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, I'm not here to scare anybody. And I want to remind you that for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, in 1 John chapter 4, we read that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. If we put our faith in Jesus, it says that he that is in you, Jesus living in you, is greater than he that is in the world, the enemy or the devil, Satan, whatever name you want to give him. And so even though we have nothing to fear, it does not mean that we, that we don't need to be preparing for a fight, because we do. Friends, this kind of battle deserves a plan. This kind of battle deserves a fight strategy. We need to know where we are the most vulnerable. We need to be prepared. But maybe more than anything, we need to know where we are the most susceptible to making a compromise. As I was thinking through that for my very own life this week, here are three particular things that I've noticed in my life of when I become the most susceptible to sin. Number one, actually, it's these three things together. When these three things come together, I know I've got to be very careful. Number one, when I haven't been sleeping well, and I'm just feeling fatigued, when, I, when I'm also, number two, when I'm feeling very stressed in my life and just feel, feel kind of overwhelmed by all the things that I'm trying to get done and can't catch up. And number three, when I haven't been spending enough time with God, whether in his word or through prayer or through the encouragement of others and fellowship of believers. And when those three things happen to fall in place, I know I'm at my weakest moment. And so what I've had to do is I've had to put a fight strategy in place. I've had, if I'm really serious, if I'm going to understand that the, the significance of sin and temptation in my life, and not only its implications for me if I, if I give in, if I give up the fight, but also what it can do to others. And so I put a fight plan into place. So I take real seriously today, I take making sure that I'm trying to, to get rest, even though it doesn't always happen. Finding ways to catch my breath, to take a break when I really need it. I'm making sure that I'm staying in God's word, that I'm praying and talking with other people and even being transparent and being open when I feel like there's a deeper, deeper struggle going on or maybe I'm feeling tempted, inviting others into those moments with me to pray for me. Friends, if you want to get serious, if you want to get serious about winning the battles that matter the most in your life and staying in the fight against sin and temptation, if you ask me, here are three essential ingredients for all of us to do that. Number one, Determine where you are your weakest. Determine where you are your weakest. Remember, self-awareness is almost always our best step forward towards change, towards transformation, towards progress. Be self-aware. Where are you the weakest? Number two, acknowledge and get to know your enemy. And when you look back at different uh, world wars, specifically World War II, we see uh, this was in the Battle of Bastogne. If you ever watched the, the uh, Band of Brothers, love that show. Battle of Bastogne. And General Patton is known for this particular battle in the Battle of the Bulge. And one of the things that made General Patton so successful is he took the time to learn his enemy. He took the time to get to know what their strategies were, how they thought, where they were likely to show up. And friends, I don't think that's any different for us. We are in a battle and some could say even more serious than, you know, the warfare that we hear about on the news. Number three, don't fight alone. 
This is one of the things that burdens me the most when I'm meeting with people. I can't tell you how many people that I find either in the, on the edge of a compromise, already compromised, or been compromising so long, they're now maybe de- dealing with an addiction. How many of those people have been fighting that battle alone? So many people, let me, let me say that differently, our enemy knows that the best place he can find you is in isolation. And if you're isolating yourself, just know that you are, you are putting yourself in a position to be more susceptible to temptation and his schemes. And he is the father of lies. Friends, don't fight alone. Let me close with this. And typically I don't like to do this, but I'm going to read exactly how I, I wrote this this morning. Because I want to say it exactly like this. So let me close by talking to some of you. Actually, it's probably the majority of us. Because maybe for you right now, you know that you're flirting with compromise. For others, you know that you're in the midst of it. You're living in it right now. The compromise is already behind you. But still others, you have thrown in the towel so many times that it doesn't even feel like a fight anymore. Friends, if any of that is you, which, you know what? It's probably all of us. Here's my encouragement to all of us this morning. Get back in the fight. And don't allow your failures to dictate your future. In the hands of Jesus, failure can be reshaped as growth. Remind yourself why we fight, because our willingness to fight leads us to be more faithful followers of Jesus. And we don't just fight for ourselves, but we fight to show others the way. Maybe now more than ever, we need to show our next generation what it looks like to follow a path of faithfulness. I will most certainly do everything I can in my power to partner with you, and this church will partner with you, because this will be the path less traveled, but it might be the best way that we can fight for others. And let me remind you that the best place that you can be in, the best place that I can be in, is in the center of God's will, but I promise you it's going to be a fight to get there, and it will be a fight to stay there. And maybe this time, when you step back up to the plate and get back in the fight, you don't just focus on the things that you need to be fighting against, but you start focusing on the things that you should be fighting for. Maybe we could take a note from what Paul says when he writes to Timothy. He says this, but you man of God or woman of God, flee from all of this. And all of this would have been all the compromises that even the believers of that time were making when it came to greed and selfishness and slander of others and sexual sin. Paul says, flee from all of this. and Instead, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, step into your calling. Step in who, into who God has already said you are. Friends, when it comes to the battles that matter most, you have to stay in the fight. And let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, a couple specific prayer requests for this morning. Number one, God, I pray that you heighten our sense of awareness of sin and temptation in our life. Don't allow us to dismiss it just because we see all the people around us and the people of the world in this world dismissing it. Father, show us what it means to, to stay in the fight. And so many of us have our fair share of failures that are following us times where we threw in the towel and we gave into temptation and we replaced instant gratification with glorifying God or the other way around and so father I pray 
that you show us that this is not about walking and living in guilt and shame. You want to completely remove that. We're not even going to be good fighters if we're just carrying that shame and guilt with us. And so because of what you accomplished on the cross through Jesus, he put all that guilt on his shoulders so we don't have to walk around with it anymore. God, would you remind us to the depths of our soul this morning that that is our truth? And Father, remind us of your grace that we are forgiven completely of all of our failures. And the beauty of who you are is that you'll take all of our junk from our past and you'll reshape it into growth. You'll show us how to become stronger fighters, not just fighting for ourselves, but learning to fight for others and even specifically the next generation because they do have a hard path to follow. God, I I pray that you empower us to take this seriously, Father, that you would show us that this is not a fight that needs to be diminished in our minds. That we don't, don't need to take it that seriously, but instead, God, that you would, you would show us of how important this is. Not because we're trying to earn any favor or anything like that with you. It's because when we win those battles, we get to live victorious. And then we speak out of place of victory. And we can actually encourage others in their life and their own battles and show them how to do it because we've gone before them. So God, would you do what only you can do? Come inside of each of our lives right now and even as we leave this place and show us how to stay in the fight and win this battle against temptation and sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said...